Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadee Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon in English study group where we study the words of the Buddha. We're in volume 11 of this book series. Volume 11 is titled The Realms of Existence. We started this book last week by exploring chapters 1 through 10. And now this week we're going to explore chapters 11 through 20. We will typically start this class with a brief meditation, but today, because of my travel schedule, I actually need to be checking out of this hotel in about one hour. So it only gives us about an hour to be able to go through the 10 chapters that we would normally cover in about an hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes, which is right after our meditation. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining us regularly. I'm going to just go ahead and move right into the chapters so that we can use our time to allow you to learn the teachings and then ask any questions that you might have. The way that we're going to do our class is uh, Miranda being our primary moderator and then Rick and maybe Tony helping out is that Miranda will have volunteers to volunteer to read each individual chapter. Then at the end of reading the chapter, I'll share any teachings on that and then open up to any questions that you might have. One of the things that I will share as we start moving into this book about the realms of existence is last week I already talked to you about how the Buddhist teachings aren't to guilt, shame, or fear somebody into learning and practicing his teachings. He never used the cycle of rebirth or the five realms of existence in that way. Well, also certain things that you're going to see in this volume, there's definitely some very helpful and certainly very valuable teachings in this volume. But there's some things that I'll share with you as we go throughout this volume over the next few months that things just really aren't as important for us to understand these in terms of awakening the mind to enlightenment. It's those core teachings of the three universal truths, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Brahma Viharas, the Ten Fetters, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, extensive meditation training, things like this that are really important to awaken your mind to enlightenment. These things that you're going to be learning in this book for the most part, are just really helping to connect the teachings of the Buddha to what we're actually experiencing in the cycle of rebirth. And this can actually be motivation for us to go beyond this discontent mind and really invest time, effort, energy, and resources into attaining enlightenment so that we will no longer experience this constant rebirth. So it helps us to understand what we've been involved in in the past over countless rebirths and then helps us to make wise decisions so that we don't experience that in the future. 
There are some teachings towards the back of the book and at other points in this book that are really helpful for your progression to enlightenment. So it's good that we go through all the chapters, but just be prepared today and in other classes where I might just kind of let you know, like, yeah, this isn't something that we actually necessarily need to know in order to get to enlightenment in this life. And one of the reasons why is that during the lifetime of the Buddha, people were leaving their homes and they were coming to study with the Buddha. And during his lifetime, 2,500 years ago, there wasn't these educational systems that we have today. So when people were leaving their home to go study with the Buddha, he was essentially like their adopted father. And not only did he teach them the path to enlightenment, but he was teaching them all kinds of other things too to help them understand the world around them. And this first chapter that we're going to explore today, chapter 11, is a great example of that, where he's talking about how beings get generated in the world and how beings come into existence. And this can be helpful for us even today. But if you've studied any modern science or anything like that, which we have as part of our educational systems that they didn't have during the lifetime of the Buddha, then your understanding of birth in today is probably far beyond what they were maybe discussing 2,500 years ago. So just keep that in mind as you read through this book on your own, as we get together for classes, that there's going to be chapters that you'll see that I just barely even wrote anything about because they're just really not as important today as they were back then when students just really didn't have an understanding of some of the very basic things that we understand now and as part of our educational system in classes like science. So I'll go ahead and turn over the class to all of you and specifically Miranda so that we can work our way through the 10 chapters that we have today. Um, yes, sir. Chapter 11, uh, four kinds of generation. Sorry, Buddha, there are these four kinds of generation. What are the four? Egg-born generation, womb-born generation, <coughs> moisture-born generation, and spontaneous generation. What is egg-born generation? There are these beings born by breaking out of the shell of an egg. This is called egg-born generation. What is womb-born generation? There are these beings born by breaking out from the call, the amniotic membrane enclosing a fetus. This is called womb-born generation. What is moisture-born generation? There are these beings born in a rotten fish, in a rotten corpse, in rotten porridge, in a cesspit, or in a sewer. This is called moisture-born generation. What is spontaneous generation? There are gods and inhabitants of hell and certain human beings and some beings in lower worlds. This is called spontaneous generation. These are the four kinds of generation. All right, thank you, Miranda. So the five realms of existence that the Buddha taught that you're gonna learn in this book is the realm of hell, animal, afflicted spirits, human and heavenly realms and the lower realms are the realm of hell animal and afflicted spirits in those realms it's impossible for beings to attain enlightenment all of us have been reborn in and out of these realms at different times but in those lower realms it would be impossible for us to attain enlightenment and the goal for those beings is just to make it up to either the human realm or the heavenly realm, which we're able to actually attain enlightenment in those realms. None of these realms are permanent and beings will move in and out of these realms at different times based on whether there's craving at the time of death and based on the gamma. 
And for beings to be born or reborn, then the Buddha is explaining here that there's egg-born birth, there's womb-born birth, there's moisture-born, and there's spontaneous generation. These are the ways that he described that beings come into the world. And we're familiar with these, except for maybe the spontaneous generation. This is one that uh, the Buddha is explaining that, you know, gods during his lifetime, people believed in multiple gods, where today we understand through the work of Jesus Christ that there's just one God. There are some beings who believe in more than one God, but if you believe in God or if you've even had any exposure to God, for the most part, we have come to the understanding that there is just one God. And it's taken gradual training and gradual understanding and the human mind has gradually been evolving to understand that. But during the lifetime of the Buddha, his goal wasn't to prove or disprove God. He was just teaching what it is that the people were discussing at that time. So he's here, he's saying that gods, uh, inhabitants of hell, certain human beings, and some beings in the lower worlds. Lower worlds is hell, animal and afflicted spirits. This is called spontaneous generation. So this would have been a discourse that the Buddha would have provided as a way to further help his students understand the world around them, because that's what he's doing. He's not indoctrinating them with a belief system. Instead, he's providing them education. He's providing them wisdom to help them awaken to understanding this natural world around them. So that's why you see teachings like this in the Buddha's teachings, because as I mentioned, people moved out of the home. They took up being a student of the Buddha, and he was really responsible for guiding them in all aspects of life and teaching them how to become this better human being. And part of that was understanding the wisdom of how beings came into the world. So that's what he's describing here. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? It does not appear there are any questions on this chapter, sir. All right. So let's go to chapter 12. Yes, sir. Let's go to Rick to read chapter 12, please. Okay. Nine abodes of beings. Monks, there are these nine abodes of beings. What nine? There are monks. There are monks, beings that are different in body and different in perception, such as humans, some heavenly beings, and some in the lower world. This is the first abode of beings. There are beings that are different in body, but identical in perception, such as the heavenly beings of Brahmas or gods, company, that are reborn through the first jhana. This is the second abode of beings. There are beings that are identical in body, but different in perception, such as the heavenly beings of streaming radiance. This is the third abode of being. There are beings that are identical in body and identical in perception, such as the heavenly beings in refulgent glory. This is the fourth abode of beings. There are beings that are non-percipient without experience, such as the heavenly beings that are non-percipient. This is the fifth abode of beings. There are beings that with the complete surmounting of perceptions of forms, with the passing away of perceptions of sensory impingement, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity, perceiving space is infinite, belong to the base of the infinity of space. This is the sixth abode of beings. There are beings that by completely surmounting the base of the infinity of space, perceiving consciousness is infinite, belong to the base of infinity of consciousness. 
This is the seventh abode of beings. There are beings that, by completely surmounting the base of the infinity of consciousness, perceiving there is nothing belonging to the base of nothingness, this is the eighth abode of beings. There are beings that, by completely surmounting the base of nothingness, belong to the base of neither perception nor non-perception. This is the ninth abode of beings. These are the nine abodes of beings. All right. So here, thank you, Rick. Here, the Buddha is explaining kind of the place where the mind can get to. uh, And he's calling this nine abodes of beings. Now, what I think that a practitioner today needs to understand is that there's these five realms of hell, animal, afflicted spirit, human, and heavenly beings. Understanding that the three lower realms, a being can't get to enlightenment, and the human and heavenly realm, they can get to enlightenment. This is a basic understanding of the five realms. In the hell realm, those beings experience exclusively painful feelings and there really is no time or ability to cultivate the mind there is certain amount of cultivation but it's not really possible to get to enlightenment and the only amount of cultivation that they can do is to basically help them move up into other realms of beings the animal realm these beings experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, but they lack the ability to develop the mind. They can't learn dependent origination. They can't learn the Four Noble Truths. They can't learn the five precepts and practice those. Think about a wild animal like a lion or a bear. They're not going to practice the first precept of not killing, for example, because they have to kill to sustain their life. They're not going to practice not stealing because they need to steal in order to survive and actually live life and actually have food. They're not going to practice abandoning sexual misconduct, for example, because they're having sex with multiple beings. So in the realm of animals, they're experiencing all three feelings of discontentedness, but they can't cultivate the wisdom enough to get to actual enlightenment. And then there's this realm of afflicted spirits where these beings experience a lot of the neither painful nor pleasant feelings. They also experience painful feelings as well, not so much of the pleasant feelings. And they can't get to enlightenment either. They tend to have an extensive amount of craving and their mind is holding on. In the human realm, we experience all three feelings. We experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant and we're able to cultivate our mind to actually get to enlightenment and cultivate the wisdom that is needed to get to enlightenment so the human realm is actually the ideal realm to exist in in order to get to enlightenment and escape the whole cycle of rebirth because even the heavenly realm this realm beings can get to enlightenment but they oftentimes lack motivation and they become very complacent because they're only experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings where in hell they're experiencing exclusively painful feelings in heaven they're experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings so they oftentimes lack the motivation to get to enlightenment and actually apply the teachings so they're oftentimes reborn down into one of the other realms so none of these realms are permanent and we move in and out of these realms as we make our way through the cycle of rebirth. And the idea is now that you are in the human realm, you have full capability to experience 
pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, which can be the motivation and the encouragement for you to get out of discontentedness. Because if you're only experiencing exclusively painful feelings like in hell, your mind would be so painful all the time that you wouldn't really have the ability to ascend. And in hell, of course, they can't develop their mind. And then likewise, in the heavenly realm, they're so pleasant that beings don't have the motivation and the encouragement. They have complacency. So here in this human realm, because you experience all three feelings, while it is a struggle, while it is very difficult, you at least can be motivated on your own to then ascend beyond those feelings. And you have the capability to do that because you can sit with a book, you can sit with a teacher, you can uh, learn, reflect, and practice in such a way that you will see the improvement to the condition of the mind. So that's what I feel is best for any beginning practitioner, and even as you advance, to really understand about the cycle of rebirth. Here the Buddha is explaining well beyond what I just explained in terms of perceptions and kind of mental states that beings will experience. That's what a, an abode is, as a mental state. So I will accept questions on these, but there's really not anything here that I would say that you really need to deeply understand that's going to necessarily lead to awakening of the mind, because a lot of the things that he's talking about here are various attainments that are very specific, and they're described in his teachings. But if you stay focused on the core path to awakening the mind, you won't actually need to necessarily understand this teaching and you can just kind of continue to ascend and awaken the mind through the work that you do in the human realm and applying effort to learn those core and central teachings of the Buddha. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? Um, yes, sir. What does this mean um, where Gautama Buddha said the heavenly beings of uh, Brahma's company that are reborn through the first jhana? Is that meaning that if someone gets to the first jhana, they could be reborn in that abode, sir? So here the Buddha is talking about heavenly beings that are in heaven and that are essentially close to God. And he's saying that are reborn through the first jhana. So this would be beings that were human, had attained the first jhana, and were able to be reborn in the heavenly realm. Oftentimes we think about being reborn into the heavenly realm as just kind of one way to accomplish that. But that would be permanence because we understand that beings who reach the third stage of enlightenment as a non-returner, they're reborn into the heavenly realm and they attain enlightenment from the heavenly realm. They never ever come back to the human realm. But there's other ways to get to the heavenly realm as well. And here the Buddha is talking about people who reach the first jhana and are reborn into the heavenly realm. But that's not to say every single being who reaches the first jhana is going to be reborn in the heavenly realm. This is where it's possible for these, these things to occur, but it's not a black and white. It's not everybody who gets to the first jhana will be reborn uh, in the heavenly realm, but it is possible, and that's what the Buddha is explaining here. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. It does not appear, appear that there are any more questions at this time, sir. All right, so let's move on to chapter 13. Yes, sir, let's go to Donnie to read chapter 13, please. Destinations and similes of destination. Sariputta, there are these five destinations 
what are the five? Hell, the animal realm, the realm of afflicted spirits, heavenly human realm, and heavenly realm. I understand hell and the path and way leading to hell. I also understand how one who has entered this path will, on the dissolution of the body after death, we appear in a state of deprivation in an unhappy destination in paradition in hell. I understand the animal realm and the path and way leading to the animal realm. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will on the dissolution of the body after death reappear in the animal realm. I understand the realm of afflicted spirits and the path and way leading to the realm of afflicted spirits. And I also Looks like we lost Donnie there. Um, I can continue reading until he's able to get back. Um, we were on afflicted spirits, correct? Yes. I understand the realm of afflicted spirits and the path and way leading to the realm of afflicted spirits. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will, on dissolution of the body, after death, reappear in the realm of afflicted spirits. I understand human realm and the path and way leading to the human realm. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will, on dissolution of the body, after death, reappear among human beings. I understand the heavenly realm and the path and way leading to the heavenly realm. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will, on the dissolution of the body, after death, reappear in a happy destination in the heavenly realm. I understand Nibbana, enlightenment, and the path and way leading to Nibbana. And I also understand how one who has entered this path will, by realizing for himself with direct knowledge, experience, here and now, enter upon and reside in the liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom that are taintless, the destruction of the taints. A simile for seeing destinations. Suppose there were a charcoal pit deeper than a man's height full of glowing coals without flame or smoke. And then a man, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same charcoal pit. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same charcoal pit. And then later on, he sees that he has fallen into that charcoal pit and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body, after death, he will appear in a state of deprivation, in an unhappy destination, in perdition, in hell. And then later on, with the divine eye, third eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the solution of the body, after death, he has reappeared in a state of deprivation, in an unhappy destination, in perdition, in hell, and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. Suppose there were a cesspit deeper than a man's height, full of filth, and then a man scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched, and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only, directed to this, 
to that same cesspit. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same cesspit. And then later on, he sees that he has fallen into that cesspit and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will re reappear in the animal realm. And then later on with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared in the animal realm and is experiencing exclusively painful, agonizing, piercing feelings. Suppose there were a tree growing on uneven ground with scanty foliage, casting a dappled shadow, and then a man, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched, and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same tree. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same tree. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in the shade of that tree. It's experiencing much painful feelings. So too, by encompassing, the mind, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear in the realm of afflicted spirits. And then later on, with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared in the realm of ghosts and is experiencing much painful feelings. Suppose there were a tree growing on even ground with thick foliage, casting a deep shade, and then a man, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same tree. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same tree. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in the shade of that tree, experiencing much pleasant feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear among human beings. And then later on, with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared among human beings and is experiencing much pleasant feelings. Suppose there were a mansion and it had an upper chamber plastered within and without, shut off, secured by bars with shuttered windows, and in it there was a couch spread with rugs, blankets, and sheets with a deerskin coverlet with a canopy as well as crimson pillows for both head and feet. And then a man, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only and directed to that same mansion. Then a man with good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same mansion. And then later on, he sees that he is sitting or lying in that upper chamber in that mansion, experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. 
So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that on the dissolution of the body after death, he will reappear in a happy destination in the heavenly world. And then later on, with divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I see that on the dissolution of the body after death, he has reappeared in a happy destination in the heavenly world and is experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. Suppose there were a pond with clean, agreeable, cool water, transparent with smooth banks, delightful and nearby a dense wood. And then a man, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, weary, parched and thirsty, came by a path going in one way only towards that same pond. Then a man of good sight on seeing him would say, this person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that he will come to this same pond. And then later on, he sees that he has plunged into the pond, bathed, drunk, and relieved all his distress, fatigue, and fever, and has come out again and is sitting or lying in the wood experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. So too, by encompassing mind with mind, I understand a certain person thus. This person so behaves, so conducts himself, has taken such a path that by realizing for himself with direct knowledge, experience, he here and now will enter upon and reside in the liberation of mind and the liberation by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints. And then later on, I see that by realizing for himself with direct knowledge, he here and now enters upon and resides in the liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints and is experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. All right. Thank you, Miranda. So I would suggest that you glean from this chapter is that there's multiple places that share the Buddha's teachings. And oftentimes you can see people talking about five realms, six realms, nine realms. I've even seen 32 realms attributed to what the Buddha actually taught. But if you look at the original source text of what the Buddha taught, he taught five realms. And you can see them right here, very clear in what he taught. And there's a reference here back to the original Pali Canon. So you can have 100% confidence that the Buddha indeed taught five realms of existence. These other realms that people have come up with after his death aren't what he actually taught. So the Buddha described during his lifetime that if you hear or see teachings that conflict with what he taught, that you should consider that that person has misunderstood his teachings and you should ignore that person's teachings. So here you can see with the words of the Buddha that he taught five realms. And depending on what your experiences in life have been, you may have actually interacted with beings from these various realms, whether it's hell, animal realm, afflicted spirits, human and heavenly realm. There is the ability for you to experience beings from these realms. Of course, the animal realm is really easy. You probably see those all the time, as well as the human realm. So we know that those two realms are in existence, right? Because we're not interested in believing what the Buddha taught. We're learning, reflecting, and practicing. So we can confirm with 100% certainty, if you've lived on the face of the earth for any length of time, that these two realms are truly in existence. And when we talk about realms, we're not talking about different places. We're talking about right here, right now. In this chair, there's a human being sitting here. But if I got up and left and a dog or a cat came and sat on this chair, a dog or a cat would be sitting in this chair. 
And much like the same thing with these other realms, these beings of hell, afflicted spirit, and heavenly realm, we oftentimes think of these places as really far away from us, but actually it's all right here in the same time and space. So you may have actually interacted with beings that are formless, that are from the hell realm. You may have actually interacted with afflicted spirits, or some people call these ghosts. Uh, If you've ever had that experience, then you've got independent confirmation that this realm exists. And there's also people who have communicated with heavenly beings as well. And if you've communicated or had observation of beings in these five realms, then you know that these are the truth. And this is what the Buddha taught. And he's explaining here that he has understanding of the path and way leading to hell, essentially what it would take for somebody to get to hell, the animal realm, the afflicted spirits, the human realm, and the heavenly realm. And then, of course, he also says he understands how beings would then also experience nibbana or enlightenment. And that's what he taught throughout his entire lifetime is this path to enlightenment. Because getting to nibbana or enlightenment would mean that you escape this entire cycle of rebirth where you're never going to be reborn in one of these five realms ever again. He doesn't describe in his teachings once somebody attains enlightenment and dies, what happens next. He left that as an undeclared teaching. But if you don't attain enlightenment, we know that you'll be reborn into these various realms. And that's what you've been experiencing all these years, all these multiple countless lives. And now you're in this human birth and you have this opportunity to escape this whole cycle of rebirth. Where when we were animals, we didn't have that ability to escape the cycle of rebirth. But now we do. So the Buddha is explaining that he has understanding of all these different realms. And then he goes through and he talks about various details of those realms, just kind of a certain level of detail of understanding of these realms. And then as you go in this book, volume 11, you will learn more and more about the various realms and get more and more clarity about the various realms. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? It does not appear that there are any questions at this time, sir. All right. So we will go to chapter 14 which is beginning the subsection of this book on the hell realm so now what's going to happen is there's going to be a certain number of chapters devoted to describing the hell realm the animal realm afflicted spirits human and heavenly realm and then towards the end of this book there's some generalized teachings to help you get to enlightenment so now as you saw here as i move through we're starting this subsection of description of teachings related to the hell realm So the first one is chapter 14. 10 courses of unwholesome kama deposited in hell. Impurity by body, Trunda, is threefold. Impurity by speech is fourfold. Impurity by mind is threefold. And how, Trunda, is impurity by body threefold? Here, someone destroys life. He is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. He takes what is not given. He steals the wealth and property of others in the village or forest. He engages in sexual misconduct. He has sexual relations with women who are protected by their mother, father, mother and father, brother, sister, or relatives who are protected by their teachings, who have a husband whose violation entails a penalty or even with one already engaged. It is in this way that impurity by body is threefold. And how Chunda is impurity by speech, fourfold. 
Here, someone speaks falsehood. If he is summoned to a council, to an assembly, to his relative's presence, to his club, or to the court, and questioned as a witness thus, so, good man, tell what you know. Then, not knowing, he says, I know, or knowing, he says, I do not know. Not seeing, he says, I see, or seeing, he says, I do not see. Thus, he knowingly speaks falsehood for his own benefit, or for another's benefit, or for some insignificant worldly benefit. He speaks argumentatively. Having heard something here, he repeats it elsewhere in order to divide those people from needs. Or having heard something elsewhere, he repeats it to these people in order to divide them from those. Thus he is one who divides those who are united, a creator of divisions. One who enjoys separation, rejoices in separation, finds pleasure in separation, a speaker of words that create separation. He speaks harshly. He speaks such words as are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on anger, unconducive to concentration. He indulges in idle chatter. He speaks at improper time, speaks falsely, speaks what is unbeneficial, speaks opposite to the teachings and the discipline at an improper time. He speaks such words as are unwise, unreasonable, rambling, and unbeneficial. It is in this way that impurity by speech is fourfold. And how, Chunda, is impurity by mind threefold? Here, someone is full of longing, craving. He longs and craves for the wealth and property of others thus. Oh, may what belongs to another be mine. He has a mind of ill will and intentions of hate thus. May these beings be slain, slaughtered, cut off, destroyed, or obliterated. He holds wrong view ignorance unknowing of true reality and has an incorrect perspective thus there is nothing given nothing sacrificed nothing offered there is no fruit or result of wholesome and unwholesome actions there is no this world no other world there is no mother no father there are no beings spontaneously reborn there are in the world no aesthetics and brahmins of right conduct and right practice who Having realized this world and the other world for themselves by direct knowledge. Sorry. Um, experience make them known to others. It is in this way that impurity by mind is threefold. These chunda are the ten courses of unwholesome kama. It is because people engage in these ten courses of unwholesome kama that hell, the animal realm, the realm of afflicted spirits, and other bad destinations are seen. Monks, one possessing these ten qualities is deposited in hell as if brought there. All right. Thank you, Miranda. So here we've actually studied this in other parts of this program where the Buddha is talking about ten aspects of producing unwholesome kama. These aren't the only ten ways that you could produce unwholesome kama, but it's a major aspect of the Eightfold Path. And by not practicing the Eightfold Path, there's going to be the unwholesome gamma being generated and the Buddha is going through point by point and helping you to see that. So if somebody were to practice these on a regular ongoing basis all the way till their death, the Buddha is explaining that they're going to be reborn into the lower realms and specifically hell. The way that rebirth works is it's not based on the totality of everything in your life and then you're kind of judged at the end of this life and then you're reborn into a various realms. 
Instead, if somebody was murderous, say in the first part of their life, but sometime during their life, they had a real change of ways and they started to then practice wholesome moral conduct and they actually died having practiced that wholesome moral conduct, then that individual is then going to not be reborn in hell necessarily. So it's not based on the totality of your life and then you're judged at the end. So if you've had any of these things that you've done in the past, like stealing or sexual misconduct or things like this, that doesn't mean that you're going to be reborn in hell. But if you now have learned and you've observed that stealing is unwholesome and it would lead to unwholesome outcomes and you no longer choose to steal or you at one time had sexual misconduct and you choose to no longer do that and now for the rest of your life you live that way you can avoid these lower destinations in fact you can even get to enlightenment there was a being during the lifetime of the buddha a human who had murdered 999 people he was very murderous And he met the Buddha and he ended up changing his ways. He became ordained and he actually got to enlightenment during that lifetime, even though he had murdered 999 people. So no matter what you've done in your life, I'm sure you haven't murdered 999 people. So you can put things that you've done in the past in the past, whether it's impurity by body, speech or mind, you can put that in the past and now chart your course with the buddhist teachings and learning reflecting and practicing and improving your conduct so that you can avoid any kind of rebirth into the lower realms of hell animal or afflicted spirits because you'll see in this book that the buddha describes those lower realms like a prison specifically hell in the animal realm he talks about them as a prison because once you're there it's very difficult to get out So now you're out of those realms. You're in the human realm. So it would be wise to not allow this human life to go to waste so that you can learn, reflect, and practice cultivating a wise mind where you have wholesome moral conduct. And this wholesome moral conduct is described as part of the Eightfold Path. And the Buddha explains to you how to improve your conduct so that you won't experience rebirth in any of these lower realms. And then by you improving your conduct, you'll actually see that it's not just about not being reborn. It's about right now in this life, by improving your moral conduct, you will experience improved results. That's one of the beauties about the Buddhist teachings is it's not about belief, 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 belief. And then when you die, you potentially will experience some better rebirth or some better destination. But instead, by you learning and practicing now, you have improved way of functioning in the world and you will improve your life now and you can see the benefit of that as the mind becomes more focused concentrated you'll gain more clarity of mind you'll have deeper memory you won't experience these discontent feelings as those diminish and ultimately are eliminated the mind will be peaceful calm serene and content with joy permanently so the buddha is just going through here connecting the unwholesome gamma that's generated by not practicing the full path with rebirth in the realm of hell. What questions do you guys have on this? Doesn't look like we have any questions at this time. All right. So we'll move on to chapter 15. Okay. Chapter 15. Dangers to one of unwholesome morality. Householders. There are these five dangers to one of unwholesome morality, of failure in morality or moral conduct. What are they? In the first place, 
He suffers great loss of property through neglecting his affairs. In the second place, he gets an unwholesome reputation for immorality and misconduct. In the third place, whatever assembly he approaches, whether the Katiyas, Brahmins, householders, or ascetics, he does so without confidence and is fearful. In the fourth place, he dies confused. In the fifth place, after death at the breakup of the body, he arises in an unwholesome state, bad destination, in suffering and hell. These are the five dangers to one of unwholesome morality. All right. Thank you, Rick. So here the Buddha is taking this unwholesome moral conduct and showing you what is experienced for somebody with unwholesome moral conduct. And if you've had unwholesome moral conduct in the past, you don't need to believe these things. You can learn it. You can reflect on it and what you've experienced in the past and see that, yes, indeed, he is speaking the truth. And then once you see that, then your practice becomes learning wholesome moral conduct, improving your decision making around moral conduct so that then you won't experience these things in the future. So the first thing he's talking about here is if you have unwholesome moral conduct, like you're killing, you're stealing, you have sexual misconduct, uh, you have uh, wrong speech, for example, maybe you have wrong livelihood, those right speech, right action, and right livelihood is the moral conduct of the Eightfold Path. So if you have wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood, the Buddha is saying that you would suffer a great loss of property through neglecting your affairs, that you wouldn't attend to the various tasks on a daily basis that you need in order to maintain your wealth, for example. Because you're negligent in the way that you conduct yourself in terms of morality, so you're going to be negligent in the way that you conduct yourself in terms of protecting your wealth. The second one is that you would have an unwholesome reputation for immorality and misconduct. So in your community, if you had a lack of moral conduct, your reputation would very much suffer. And this would result in you not having opportunities to improve your life because people who are maybe into wholesome things, doing certain business contracts or doing certain wholesome things in a personal nature, they're going to involve people that are doing wholesome things. So if you have an unwholesome reputation based on a lack of moral conduct, then you're going to find that your struggle in life is very difficult because of this reputation of immorality. And then this assembly he approaches. An assembly is like a group of people or a community. The Katyas were people during the lifetime of the Buddha that were really well known for prosperity and living very good life. He often referred to them as kind of like almost the ideal society. For me and what I've observed, Thai people are kind of like the Katyas of a modern age. They are people who are practicing peacefulness, calmness, serenity, contentedness, and joy. They are very loving and kind and compassionate. Their society really flourishes where people are very cordial and polite and respectful, kind with each other. So that's what the Katyas are. Brahmin are priests, householders or household practitioners. Aesthetics are ordained practitioners. And here he's saying, okay, if you're lacking of moral conduct, when you approach these communities, you would lack confidence. You would be fearful because these are essentially people who are practicing good, wholesome conduct. Katyas are practicing good, wholesome conduct. Brahmins are typically practicing a certain level of 
morality, household practitioners who are learning with the Buddha and ordained practitioners the same way. So if you've ever known that you have been fairly immoral at different times in your life, when you come in contact with other people who you know are have a high degree of morality, this is where the Buddha is saying you're going to lack confidence and you're going to be fearful. And this is going to come across in your intentions, speech, and actions, and it's going to inhibit you from having personal and professional relationships that blossom. And then if you die with a lack of morality, you will die confused. Confused is ignorance or the unknowing of true reality, delusion or misunderstanding. And then with the breakup of the body at death, the Buddha is saying, okay, this person with a lack of morality is going to be reborn in hell in this bad destination. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? It does not appear there are any questions at this time, sir. All right, so we'll move on to chapter 16. Yes, sir. Let's go to Donnie to read chapter 16, please. Okay, destination and rebirth. Monks, I will teach you an exposition of the teachings on creeping. Listen and attend closely, I will speak. And what monks is that exposition of the teachings on creeping? Monks being are the owners of their karma, the heirs of their karma. They have karma as the origin, karma as the relative, karma as the result. Whatever karma they do, wholesome or unwholesome, they are its heirs. Here, someone destroys life, he is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to human living beings, he creeps along by body, speech, and mind. His bodily karma is crooked. His verbal karma is crooked. His mental karma is crooked. His destination is crooked. His rebirth is crooked. But for one with a crooked destination and rebirth, I say there is one of two destinations. I either the exclusively painful hells or a species of creeping animal. And what are the species of creeping animals? The snake, the scorpion, centipede, the mongoose, the cat, the mouse, and the owl, or any other animals that creep away when they see animals. Thus, a being is reborn from a being. One is reborn through one's deeds. When one has been reborn, context affects one. It is in this way I say that beings are the heirs of their karma. All right, thank you, Dani. So here, the Buddha is basically explaining that anything we do wholesome or unwholesome, we are going to experience the results of that. You can't run and hide from the results of your decisions and other people can't make decisions for you that are going to affect you. It's only your decisions that are going to affect you. That's where he says here that beings are the owners of their gamma, the heirs of their gamma. They have gamma as their origin, gamma as their relative, gamma as their resort. Whatever gamma they do, wholesome or unwholesome, they are its heirs. Now remember, what gamma is, is its cause and effect or action and result. It's the results of your decisions. It's not punishment and rewards. It's not some mystical, magical, dark cloud that's following you around. It's just literally the results of your decisions. If you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to people, you'll find that you have no problem making friends and that people are more than pleasant and peaceful to be around you. They're interested in being around you because you're functioning in a way that people enjoy, polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. 
But if you're impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, you're going to really struggle in personal and professional relationships. This is your karma. This is the results of your decisions. Your decision to have wholesome moral conduct versus unwholesome moral conduct is going to produce different results. So the Buddha is helping you to see that it's your decisions that are leading to your results in life. Anything that you experience in life, either wholesome or unwholesome, it's all based 100% on your decisions. We oftentimes think about good luck or bad luck or the universe has it out for us or the universe is helping us or God is controlling us or something like that. But that's not what true reality is. Everything we experience is a result of our decisions. So the Buddha is explaining here that somebody who destroys life who essentially has this crooked way of being that the results of their decisions of having this body speech and mind where there's this crookedness or this violence or this merciless to living beings that because of the choice to have body speech and mind that is unwholesome then there's going to be these crooked destinations experienced. And the crooked destinations that he's explaining is the exclusively painful hells, because the Buddha talked about multiple hells. You know, we just kind of talk about it as hell today, but he actually talked about the different types of hells. And somebody who has a lack of moral conduct, not only are they having the potential to be reborn in hell, but they're also having the potential to be reborn as a creeping animal. And the Buddha gives examples of what those creepy animals are. So if you see a snake, a scorpion, a centipede, a mongoose, a cat, a mouse, an owl, or any other animals that creep away when they see people, right? Because they're scared, they're worrisome, they have this fear in the mind, so they run away when they see people. The Buddha is saying this is a creeping animal and this is the destination that one can consider that is going to occur if that moral conduct continues all the way throughout your life. So if you've had unwholesome moral conduct in the past, like I mentioned, it's in the past. Now you can improve your moral conduct and then you won't see any of these bad destinations of hell or the animal realm. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? It does not appear we have any questions at this time, sir. All right, so we'll go to chapter 17. Leading to hell, to the animal realm and to the realm of afflicted spirits. Monks, the destruction of life, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, the destruction of life at minimum leads to a short lifespan. Taking what is not given, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, taking what is not given at minimum leads to loss of wealth. Sexual misconduct, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, sexual misconduct at minimum leads to hostility and competition. False speech, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated, leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, false speech at minimum leads to false accusations. Argumentative speech, 
harsh speech, idle chatter, drinking liquor and wine, ingestion of substances that cause heedlessness, repeatedly pursued, developed, and cultivated leads to hell, to the animal realm, and to the realm of afflicted spirits. For one reborn as a human being, drinking liquor and wine at minimum leads to madness. All right. Thank you, Miranda. So we just kind of skipped through a couple of these paragraphs because it's the same basic content. And then the Buddha explains at the very end of what you would experience if you were doing those particular types of things. So again, this is a situation where you shouldn't believe the Buddha's teachings. You learn, reflect, and practice. So here, if you've ever been argumentative and had argumentative speech, did it lead to separation from your friends? Did it help you to acquire more friends to be argumentative? Or did it incur a situation where you were argumentative with people and those people chose to leave your life? Same thing with harsh speech, with idle chatter, with drinking liquor and wine and these other things that the Buddha talks about. He's talking about and connecting aspects of his teachings around morality and then what you would experience as a result of having practiced false speech or argumentative speech or harsh speech and all these others. So this isn't a situation where you should believe what the Buddha is saying, but learn it and then reflect on your own life or the life of people around you and see, is this really true? And you'll come to the conclusion that yes, it is true. So then the third aspect is practice. So now what you would like to do is eliminate this from your practice where you're no longer destroying life, where you're no longer taking what is not given, you're no longer having sexual misconduct, you're no longer having false speech, you're no longer having argumentative speech, you're no longer having harsh speech, you're no longer having idle chatter, and you're no longer drinking liquor and wine. Because if you've seen the truth in what the Buddha is explaining, that he says, okay, if you practice these things, these are the things that are going to occur for you. And if you can see the truth in those things and know that it, he's 100% speaking the truth, why would you continue to make the decision to do these things? So that's what he's helping you to see is that, okay, you might not have been able to see the natural law of gamma, that by drinking liquor and wine, it's causing this madness. You might not have been able to see that by having idle chatter, it leads to others distrusting your words that by having harsh speech, it leads to hearing disagreeable things or argumentative speech, being separated from your friends, false speech, that it leads to false accusations, sexual misconduct leading to hostility and competition within your life, and then stealing, that it leads to a loss of wealth because people are going to steal from you. And you're also not going to appreciate the things that you steal. And then destruction of life. If you repeatedly pursue these things, it's going to lead to a shorter lifespan. And you can look at people in the world that repeatedly kill, like think about soldiers that are sent off into battle. You know, legally, their government is giving them the authority to go kill people in other countries. But the natural law of gamma doesn't function based on human laws, societal laws. So if you go off into war and you repeatedly kill and destroy life, it's going to lead to a short lifespan. So you can see the truth in these. And then when you see that through your learning and reflection, then you improve your practice to choose to no longer do these things. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? It appears there are no questions at this time, sir. All right. 
So let's see what chapter we're at. Chapter 18. I actually need to check out of this hotel. I apologize. I mentioned at the beginning that I only had kind of one hour to really dedicate to class today. Let me just open up to see if there's any questions around chapter 18, which is titled The Unwise Person's Unhappy Destination. Chapter 19, which is to be reborn in the hell of laughter or chapter 20, which is to be reborn in the battle-slain hell. Are there any questions on any of these three chapters? Does not appear so, sir. Okay, so these books are readily accessible from our website, which is buddhadailywisdom.com. If you go to the website and you download the book, you can actually see the chapters in their entirety, and you'll see the description and explanation that I provided as well, which, oftentimes goes way beyond what I'm able to cover in class. So if you would like to learn these three chapters, you can go to buddhadailywisdom.com, click on the link that says free books and download volume 11. From there, you'll be able to read these three chapters and see what I wrote about them, see what I taught related to these three chapters. And then if you have questions after reading them, you can put those into Facebook if you'd like, and I'll be able to answer them there in the Facebook group. You can send me a private message. You can schedule a personal guidance session, or you can ask these questions in a future class as well. I apologize that I don't have the normal two hours to teach like I normally do on a Saturday, but with our travel schedule, I didn't realize that I needed to check out of this hotel until I actually got here. And that was just a couple of days ago that I need to check out at 11. So I'd like to follow the rules of the hotel and check out at 11. And uh, I'd like to just wish you all the best as you guys are learning and progressing on studying these chapters. The next week's class on Saturday, we're going to be in chapters 21 through chapters 30. You'll be able to explore all of those. And I will be in a hotel that I'll be able to teach you guys throughout the entire class. I won't have to shorten the class. So there's a bit of impermanence here in today's class. And then tomorrow I'll be in a hotel as well. I'm moving today to a new hotel. So we'll be able to teach tomorrow in the group learning program, chapter 10, which is titled, What is Merit? This is an important understanding that you need in order to progress to enlightenment, understanding what is merit and how to actually produce it. So I'm going to be teaching that tomorrow in the group learning program. On Wednesday, the class is going to be taught by Miranda. It's going to be a guided loving kindness meditation class. It's going to be in Zoom only. So you're welcome to join Zoom and meditate with the other members of the community. And Miranda is going to lead you guys in a loving kindness meditation throughout that class on Wednesday. So there's class tomorrow on Sunday, there's one on Wednesday, and then there's next Saturday as well. So I'll see you guys in one of those future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadika. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.